Okay, well, if you have been here, you know we're studying in the book of John, and as they, each week I've been uh, reviewing a little bit what we've talked about in the past. Of course, the Gospel of John we know is, is a very unique gospel. We have the four gospels, right? The record of Jesus' life on earth, uh, particularly his ministry. Uh, we have the first three, which we call the synoptics because they are similar, although it's interesting, uh, I think... Uh, ben mentioned it uh, Wednesday night, uh, how Luke is really the only gospel that we know anything about the birth of Christ, right? We, it's not mentioned. The birth is not mentioned in the other gospels except in Luke. And so that's how we know what we call the Christmas story or whatever. Although we know it wasn't necessarily, we don't know when he was born. We don't know that it was in December or whenever. But <clears throat> we do know about his birth through the gospel of Luke. But the first three are the synoptics. They are similar in writing, but John's different. John's unique. John mentions a lot of other events that occurred. And we can know why John was written by turning simply over to John chapter 20. And as each week, I've been reading those verses, and let's do that again. John 20, verse 30, where John wrote, And truly, did Jesus, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And of course, we have that great promise, that great promise that we can have life in his name through what's written in this book. Life not only eternally, life not only after we pass on, but life here on earth. We're going to have an abundant life, a bountiful life, a joyful life in Jesus' name wonderful statement right wonderful promise wonderful thing that we can hold on to right especially in a year like we've had this year it's almost over but let's grab on to jesus even tighter let's grab on to his promises let's grab on to his love for us and to continue to uh, soldier on uh, in his name that last couple of weeks we've been talking a little about the beginning of Jesus' ministry, you know, we've talked about him meeting the, the Samaritan woman at the well in Samaria and how he was talking to her about giving her living water where he had asked for her for a drink. She was drawing water from the well. And he said, I can give you living water. He was evangelizing, he was preaching. And then he said some things about her life that he would have had no way to know other than it was miraculous, that it was divine knowledge. And it impressed her, right? And she was able to go back to her town and tell others, I have met a prophet. He may be the Messiah. He may be the one that was prophesied about. And the people came out, remember? And, uh, we talked about how Jesus mentioned some things about evangelism, how one reaps and another may, I mean, one sows and another may reap, how he had sowed the seed for her. She had gone and spread that. And the disciples were able to reap that harvest as they came out to see, and many believed in who he was. And then last week we read some stuff how his ministry already caused some controversy, right? He was being persecuted because he healed a man, a lame man, on the Sabbath. How ridiculous that was, of course, that they would complain about that, but they were persecuting him for it. And the fact that he was making claims that he was the Messiah that he was equal to God. And of course, we know he was. He is. He is today. But they were persecuting. They were wanting to kill him. 
because of what he was saying. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit more about something else Jesus said, and it's kind of following up what we've been talking about so far. Today we're going to talk about something that uh, is going to kind of make you wonder. We're going to talk about the insufficiency of the scriptures. I said that, and yes, I said that right. The insufficiency of the scriptures. And you've got an outline, you'll see that as your title. And what do you think I'm talking about? I mean, I'm probably going against everything you ever heard about the scriptures, right? The insufficiency of the scriptures. This is the word of God. Wait a minute here. What are you talking about? Well, hear me out, and we're going to take a look at what I mean by that phrase. The all-sufficiency of the scriptures is a very important doctrine, is it not? I mean, we know that, right? As Christians, we know, right, that the scriptures give us everything we need. Or do we? Turn over to the book of 2 Timothy. Let's just read a few verses there. 2 Timothy and chapter 3. Beginning in verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Pay attention to that. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right, well, we have two verses right there that tell us we got all we need, right? They're all sufficient for everything we need to do in our lives. Have you ever heard, and maybe, I don't know, watching something on TV about religion, and you'll hear some professor at some, I don't know, Harvard Divinity, Divinity School or somewhere, I don't know, and they'll come in and say, well, that, that part of the gospel didn't really happen. You know, that's a myth. And, and then they'll say, well, this part happened at certain times, you know. And they go here and there and they say, this part's not true, but this part is true. This part we can't prove. We, we know that's not true. Have you ever heard that? I've heard, I've heard somebody talking that I'm going, then how do you know anything's true? Right? If this part's not, but this part is, but that part's uh, a myth or we don't have any record of it, how do you know? What's true and what's not? 2 Timothy 3 tells us all Scripture is inspired by God. So that's proof in itself, believe it or not. That statement, I know that sounds circular. I know that sounds like circular reasoning, but it's proof. Because if you believe it, then you have to believe that Scripture, right? And you have to believe that Scripture is true. And if that Scripture is true, then it's all true can't leave anything out. So if somebody's telling you that part's a myth and part's true and this part's not true and we don't have anything, and this really didn't happen, they're probably a false teacher. In fact, I'll say they are a false teacher, in my opinion. So be careful with that. Yes, sir. Yeah, makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. Jim's saying it's interesting to hear someone say what Paul or what somebody's trying to say is this, 
And what he's saying, it's really God speaking. It's inspired by God. So he's speaking, God is speaking through Paul. God is speaking through these writers of the Gospels, writers of the letters, uh, the prophets, and so forth. So yeah, we, we have confidence in that. If you have faith, you have to believe these scriptures are true. Without that, how can you have faith? How can you have anything? Turn over to 2 Peter. Let's read a couple other verses there. 2 Peter chapter 1. If I can get over there. And let's just look at the beginning of that chapter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things, not some things, not a few things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. This is how we escape, folks. This is how we live that abundant life through Him, through knowing about Him through these scriptures. This is how we learn. Turn over to Jude. Look at verse 3 there. Jude 3. see it okay beloved while i was very diligent to write to you concerning your common salvation i found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints once for all we got it all it's been delivered we have it all Turn over to acts chapter 20 read something from there i know we're jumping around but i want you to see these verses Acts chapter 20, and verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. His word can give us the inheritance. We are sanctified as Christians. We are set apart from the world. We are now part of the kingdom of heaven. We're no longer part of this world. We're separate we have that inheritance. We have that great hope that he's given us through his promises, right? Through his word. But yet, there can come a time when the scriptures are not sufficient. Wow, how can I say that? Well, what are you talking about? I just read your scriptures and everything's there. It's all sufficient. We've got it all. We've got all we need. We don't need any more. It's all true. If anybody tells you any different, they're false. But yet, despite its power, the Word of God by itself is unable to save. When despite diligent study, it does not benefit those of us who search through it. So, yeah. There can be a time when the scriptures are not sufficient. Well, what in the world am I talking about? Well, go back to John chapter 5, where our text is today. 
And let's read a few verses from John chapter 5 that we've already been looking at. Look at verse 16. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Remember, we just talked about that. He was healing on the Sabbath for crying out loud. You should be doing that. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal to God. Jesus was confronted by unbelieving Jews. Unbelieving Jews. Didn't believe in him. Look over there at verse 33. <clears throat> you have sent John, and he is borne witness to the truth. Talking about John the Baptist. John bore witness to the truth. The one coming after him. Remember, he said he had to decrease, and Jesus must increase. Yet I do not receive testimony from man. But I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Now we know from John 1, well, we know John talks about the Word, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then in verse 14 of John 1, what do we read? That Word became flesh and dwelt among men. Who was he talking about? Jesus Christ. Who we just read, he said, it's about me. I'm the one. I'm the one you're supposed to be looking to. I'm the one that's the provider of the miracles, the healer of the lame, the raiser of the dead. I am the one that's now reigning in the kingdom of heaven and will be given all authority at the judgment. Interesting, isn't it? Yet we find Jews who rejected him. We find Jews who rejected him in that time, and you'll find Jews to this day that still reject him, right? Yet the scriptures describe him. All right. Read on in chapter 5 there, verse 37. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent him, you do not believe. You search the scriptures. You search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me, that you may have life. Whoa, wait a minute here. Whoa, you search the scriptures. Well, right there, he says they're looking. They know the scriptures. They're reading them. Apparently, the Jews read the scriptures. They knew the scripture. The New King James here that I'm reading, it says, you search the scriptures. In the ASV, uh, I'm sorry, in the King James, uh, you kind of get the idea. He says he commanded them to search the scriptures. 
But when it comes out to the grammar and all that, it's, it's basically the same thing. He's saying, you look at these scriptures and you think you have life in the scriptures. But guess what? It's not about the scriptures. It's about me. Jesus Christ, the King, the Savior. It's about Him. The Jews were diligent students of the scripture. Turn over to Acts chapter 15. Let's just see about that. See something about that. <clears throat> see if what we're saying here is true. 15, and uh, let's go back to uh, the first uh, 20. But that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So the scriptures were read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Not to mention what they should have been studying outside of the synagogue or outside of the, day, the Sabbath day. Moses was read constantly. You may have heard of Hillel the Elder, religious leader, contemporary to Jesus' time. Born a little bit before Jesus. He said, more law, more life. He said, he who, does, who has gotten himself words of law has gotten himself the life of the world to come. That's from the Talmud, who he was influential in writing and, and, and preparing. McGarvey's fourfold gospel says, in their zeal for the scriptures, the Jews had counted every letter of them, expecting to find life in the laws of and the prophets. They knew the law, right? In fact, we know just from the Sabbath day laws, sabbatical laws, they kind of added a lot to it, didn't they? What was it? I can't remember the numbers. You might know 600 or something laws around, you know, unbelievable. I mean, I would guess that you'd be afraid to get out of your house on the Sabbath day, just about, or out of the synagogue, right? Because you're going to break a law just by doing something. They knew the Scriptures. They could hardly be any more diligent students of the Scriptures than the Jews. Yet, interesting, in 39, he says, For in them you think you have eternal life, yet these testify of me. And you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. They knew the scriptures, but they don't see it. They don't see that they're talking about Him. They don't see that they can have life in Him. Therefore, failure to believe in Jesus led to His Word not abiding in them. They were unwilling to believe in Him, of whom the scriptures testified, and therefore, for them, the scriptures proved to be insufficient. How sad it was that many Jews who had the benefit of receiving these oracles of God, who Paul writes about in Romans 3. He spends the first chapter or so, or chapter 2, talking about how the Gentiles didn't have the oracles of God like the Jews did. Yet they knew that there was a greater being. All they had to do was go out and look at creation, right? They knew that there's a God. There had to be. Just like today, right? We walk outside. We see nature. And I, we're busy, we don't think about it all the time, but if you ever got time to partner, we say, well, where did those come from? How did this get here? 
you know? And we've got all this stuff today, you know, they try to talk about evolution and all these things, all this stuff, right? Yet we know there's a God simply by his creation. And through the Jews, we have the oracles of God. Remember, we can't know absolute truth without it being revealed to us. There is absolute truth, but we're human beings. We're not perfect. We don't necessarily know everything. We can see things. We can reason about things, right? We can objectify about things by what we see or discern or reason in our minds. But we don't know everything about God unless He revealed it to us. And guess what? He did. We have it all right here. But if all you're doing is reading the Scripture and not putting it into practice, not believing in Him that the Scriptures talk about, they become insufficient. Insufficient for the Jews and insufficient for you and me and us. We may be diligent students of the Word, and we should be. I've mentioned that many times, right? We should be diligent students of the Word. Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power to save. Simple as that. It has power. The words have power. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is living and powerful. James 1.21, the Word is able to save our souls. Wow. That's pretty, pretty big, pretty big thing right there, right? Pretty big statement. 1 Peter 2, 2, the word is able to help us grow. 1 Peter 1, 22, it's able to make one born again. Acts 20, 32, we just read. The word is able to give us that inheritance among those sanctified. Through the word, we can be saved. Through the word, we can know how to be saved. Through the word, we can know about our inheritance, about the promises, about living an abundant life here on earth, full of joy. Many people are diligent students of the Word, and we should be, every one of us. Every denomination, every religious faith has their scriptural accounts, right, that they, they go by, they'll say this is this, this is that, by what they read, what they study. But they get it wrong, right? They don't necessarily believe in what it's talking about. I mean, you can be, what, book smart, right? You ever heard that term? Well, he or she's book smart. Well, what's that mean? Well, I've always kind of taken that to me. Well, it, they got smarts, but they don't have a lot of common sense, right? I mean, they got a, not a, lot, of, got a, a lot of knowledge. Mixing up my words but they don't necessarily know how to live, right? You can read and you can study and you can learn things, but never really put anything into practice, right? Have you ever read a book, 10, 20 pages, I don't know, and get done and th don't even remember what you read? Yeah, yeah and, and I know that's not necessarily having anything to do with this, but yeah, it's where your mind is, it's where your heart is. It's not about just reading those scriptures. People do need to read the Bible daily, study it in church frequently, study it at home, wherever. And there's many can even quote entire sections from memory, right? But that don't mean, that don't make the scriptures sufficient for them. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Let's read something about some folks 
who like who uh, read the scriptures. Seventeen, uh, beginning in verse ten, Acts 17:10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowd. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Many can be like the Bereans. The Bereans heard what Paul was talking about, heard the gospel, and they searched the scriptures, which is good. They should have been doing that. I'm sure Paul told them, the scriptures talk about Jesus. These Old Testament prophecies, particularly in Isaiah, talking about the Messiah. And this Messiah came and died and was raised again. So you can imagine, that's a pretty bold statement to someone who's never heard that before, right? And they searched the scriptures to make sure that's true. Yet the Jews came and persecuted him there. They came and stirred things up, even in Berea. You remember Jesus said, uh, "What? you get this wrong, but you know, a prophet's not wanted in his own home, in his own land, right? Isn't it interesting how he was first persecuted by his own people? Because they didn't believe. They didn't believe, he said, who he was. Interesting, isn't it? Turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. Read a few verses from Hebrews chapter 4. Particularly verse, let's just begin at the beginning. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed... The gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. In other words, the Jews did not have faith. They did not believe. So they came short of their promised rest. The scriptures are simply there to show us who Jesus was that we might have faith. I just read that at the beginning, didn't I? John chapter 20. John wrote the gospel that you might believe in him and have life. Belief and life. Faith and life. It's not in the scriptures. It's not just knowing the laws. It's not just knowing the words. You've got to believe. And you've got to have life in him. Believing in him whom God sent who testified of him, who witnesses of him, right? And how do we put that into practice? Turn over to James. And you know what I'm going to say here. I've said it many times. 
but we'll read it anyways. James 1, verse 21. Therefore, lay, all, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. There we said it. The word's able to save. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. It's not just to hear the word. We have to be doers. We believe, and we become workers in the vineyard of the Lord, in the field, white for harvest, right? We need to be sowers, and we need to be reapers, working diligently in that kingdom. So unless we believe and obey that word of God, guess what? It remains insufficient for us too. I just said the scripture is all sufficient, didn't I? I mean, it's everything we need, right? But if you're only looking at the law, if you're only looking at the words, if you don't have that faith that's a big enough faith to put your body, your mind, your soul to work, then the scriptures are probably insufficient for you as well. Yes, Miss Jean. point. June says it's the insufficiency of our willingness. Absolutely. The word is powerful. It's us. They don't want to believe it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Jews says, even today, it's, it's interesting, after even like World War II and stuff, that the Jews still won't accept who Jesus was. Yeah, and that's very true. Very true. I don't know. That's, it's, that's a mystery. It is a mystery, isn't it? You would think that if you have all the scriptures, you know them as well as the Jews do. And I wouldn't think that, I wouldn't say that all the Jews today are as diligent as perhaps they were back then, maybe. But they, uh, they don't, you don't, you have a lot of Jews today that aren't practicing. Well, just like Christians, right? But the point is, the scriptures in themselves don't do it. Truly, truly, the word of God is all sufficient for those who will hear it and believe it and put it into practice. Turn over to Isaiah, and let's just read a few verses from Isaiah. Isaiah, I mentioned, you know, is uh, uh, the great messianic prophet. He talks about Christ in Isaiah, talks about many things to come, but that's one of the big ones. Isaiah 55 Verse 10, he's going to talk about something here about the Word of God. 55, verse 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. 
so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is going to accomplish what God wants it to do. And it has. And it will continue to do so. But we, as human beings, have been given the ability to choose. Right? We can reason things in our mind. We can decide. God doesn't, didn't make us robots. He didn't make us dummies. He created us in His image. And we have that choice. We can either love Him or not. The first commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And what else does that scripture say? On this hangs all the law and the prophets. All this word hangs on that. We are to love Him first and foremost. And we can read from the scriptures. Why? Because He loved us first. Loved us enough that He sent His Son to die for us. Us who are without hope. Us who were destined to judgment can now have hope through what He's done for us. Sending His Son. Yet people of the book as the Korah calls Jews and Christians, should take heed, right? The word cannot bear fruit in some hearts. We must let that word lead us to him who is the giver of life. Turn over to Luke chapter 8, and let's just look at a few verses there real quick before we finish. Luke chapter 8. And verse 12. Now let's start with 11. Now the, par the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. Lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root. Who believe for a while and in a time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. This is the explanation of the parable of the sower, right? The seed that fell on the four different types of people. Only one type received it and bore good fruit. The ones with an open and noble heart. May we be like them. right? May we be ones with an open and noble heart, willing to receive the word, all its truth, not part of it, not some of it, all of it, because it is all sufficient for us if we will receive that word and believe it and put it into practice, become doers.
Indeed, the all-sufficiency of the word must be understood in its context. For the word by itself does not save. Don't misconstrue those verses that say the word is the power to salvation. It is. But by itself, it does nothing. God has, been given, God has given it to us that we might be saved, that we might have faith. We've been told we need the blood of Christ to wash our sins away. And we've been told that we need to be baptized into Him, into His name, that we might receive that gift of the Holy Spirit and continue to live faithfully until the day we're no longer on this earth. So, we're almost at the end of 2020. Got one more Sunday, one more lesson. It's getting out close to that time when we start making those New Year's resolutions, right? They usually last about two weeks and then they're done. I've been going to gym all year. I'm expecting around the first year it's going to get a little busy. I know that. So I just have to be prepared for it. I figure out yeah, the last couple of weeks, that'll be good. Then it'll be back to where it was at the end of the year. But before all that, how about this year? We've had a tough year. It's been a tough year all kinds of ways, right? 2021, let's make our first resolution to open our hearts, be receptive to his word more than ever before, especially if you're not a Christian. If you've never believed, never made that step to obey his word, believe it in your heart, put it into practice, and today's as good a time as any. You don't need to wait till 2021 to do that. But if nothing else, let's make that our first resolution this year. It's coming year. We'll do a redo of 2020. We'll start 2020 over. Set the reset button, right? Light the new fire. I helped, I helped my dad put up a fire pit yesterday, and it was, uh, it was pretty cool, but, you know, it was one of those, I called it the, how many nuts does it take to put together a fire pit? My brother's over there with his family, and there's about 10 of us, one to hold the screwdriver, the other nine to read the directions. It was, it was interesting. We got it working, but, you know, you had to light that fire, and it took a little while. We had to get matches in it up. You know, you had to go the old school way to get it started. Let's reset that button this year. Let's reset our minds and our souls to be receptive to that word, take it in fully, and put it into practice so that we can have life in his name. I know, I'm preaching. But isn't it wonderful? I want to have joy in my life. I want to have abundant life in this world. And it's been a tough year, I know. But even through all that, I can have fullness of joy, a peace that passes all understanding, right? You just got to grab on to it. Okay. Thanks for being here. Our time is up. Happy holidays. See you next week.